Hello, everybody. Welcome to Becoming Better, the podcast dedicated to helping you become a better human being. I'm the host of the show, Chris Bailey. This is episode number 36, Opting Out. It's a thrill for me to get to welcome a good friend of mine back to the show, Kate Flanders. Uh, So if you've been listening to the show for a little while, you may remember Kate from episode number 13, lucky, lucky number 13, where we chatted about whether or not to take advice from experts. Um, Some would consider Kate to be an expert. She's the author of The Year of Less, which is one of the best-selling personal finance memoirs of all time. And to date, it sold hundreds of thousands of copies all around the world. Now she's out with a new book, uh, which I've read and I've loved, called Adventures in Opting Out. And in this one, she digs into a topic we all really need to hear right now, especially. And that's the power of living in a way that's true to who we are, instead of just what the world expects of it. So welcome back, Kate. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. How does it feel to be one of the best-selling personal finance memoirs of all time? Or I guess your book being one of that. <laughs> is it hard to process that or is it? Yeah, I I mean, you have sold probably equal and many more copies of books. Um, so it you would know this maybe even better, but I think that there's somewhat of a disconnect in that you can't like fully take that in. Yeah. As that that is something uh, that you wrote. Um, but it also feels, I don't know, I've noticed that in writing a second book and releasing this one, I'm starting to see it as we are kind of just creating content that people are enjoying and and may also be helping them. Yeah. And that just feels like a gift. So right now I'm just feeling very grateful and... Mm. And excited. I feel excited about this book in in a way that I didn't with The Year of Less. Oh, interesting. Why Why is that? I think it's because this one is a little bit less personal, but it feels like a, like a really true reflection of where I am right now. Mm. The Year of Less was deeply personal, included a lot of stories from when I was younger and growing up and my teenage years and early twenties. And I'm so glad that that book exists and it's not a reflection, I would say of who I am today. Mm. So there was this real disconnect for me, I think. And and I didn't realize it sort of until I was doing a lot of interviews around that book that, that while I was glad to be again, like creating something that was helping people even just some of the topics in it, they're, they're just not part of my daily life right now. Hmm. And so there was sort of this de- disconnect of being asked to talk about something that, yes, was or had been true for me in some capacity, but it just was not part of my life anymore. Um, whereas now with adventures, like even just the way I wrote the book, it feels like it is the conversations I'm having all the time with friends right now anyways. Mm, interesting. And 
and I'm sure my thoughts and insights and, 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 or not a ton of advice, but some advice that is in there, like maybe that will continue to grow and shift as I get older, but I don't think any piece of this book, uh, feels out of alignment for me. Like this mm. feels like me sharing where exactly where I am and exactly the kinds of things that if we were sitting together and having a conversation that I would be saying to people. And so it just feels really nice to have this one out and to be able to talk about it. That's the fascinating thing about a book, isn't it? It's kind of an encapsulation of your ideas about a topic at a certain period of time, kind of like a photograph where, you know, you keep changing after the photograph is is taken. The, the book is kind of a similar thing. And sometimes you move on from the topics that you write about. Uh, so, you know, the first book that I put out, uh, I, I always hate when interviewers make the the interviews about them. So I'll, I'll no. get through this topic really quickly. But but I remember the first book I put out, it was called The Productivity Project. And that that's what a lot of people know me for. But that's in my mind, that's just kind of something I did a long while back. And it's interesting in thinking about the success behind that book, behind your books, behind the second book, all that stuff. It's the funny part about that and having a, a good selling book out there is how little changes after the fact. You know, you come home and you realize, wait, I'm still this same person. And okay, I have a book out there, but my life isn't really materially different. I, maybe my relationship changed with myself a little bit, but besides that, eh, okay, I guess I'll put together this IKEA furniture and take out the trash. <laughs> No, it's true. I mean, I think with something, it's actually, I've never done that comparison, but both of our first books were about experiments that we've done. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> right? <laughs> and yeah, there is really something about it. I think the biggest piece for me is that um, I love that book because it showed, I think, the idea of experimentation. Mm. And it then made me known as someone in sort of the minimalism space. And I'm not totally opposed to that, but I also don't ever even think about that topic. Yeah. Like that was something I did for a couple of years, sort of decluttered, made it so I don't live with a lot of stuff. That is something I continue to do today, but I don't think about it. It is not actively like something I would never even list it as like a value for me. Experimentation. Like, uh, no, living with less. Living with less, yeah. Like <laughs> Experimentation, very much so, probably. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the thought of, yes, I do still live with less, but I don't even think about it. So, it's not yeah. this topic that I'm sort of like, this is the thing everyone needs to do to make their lives better. Like, that's not that's not the camp that I fall into. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, that, that reflective nature that I think was present in the first book, for sure, but is especially... Uh, embedded within almost every page of this book. That's this mm. is what I loved so much about Adventures and Opting Out. And I remember a long while back when we were chatting, and you asked me a question that still sticks with me. I think we were chatting about goals or something like that, and you asked something simple. You said, uh, "Where where do your goals come from?" And that idea, and it's connected to this book, obviously. You know, it's um, it set me on this whole rabbit hole of thinking about. The defaults, we kind of accept the the default script, you know, go to school, get good grades, get a good job, save 15% of every paycheck for retirement, settle down, find a partner, live your life, and then kick the bucket at the very end. And we kind of accept the default goals too, in addition to that default script, like, oh, I need a 
uh, set of six pack abs and this massive house and the nice green lawn. But it's the, the, reading this book, and I hope people find the same thing. And I'd encourage anybody listening to pick up Adventures in Opting Out. Um, it's this wonderful, fun, honestly, opportunity to reflect on this default script. And my question is when we just go with the flow of life, what, what kind of values and goals do we accept without even realizing it? Like what is that a trap or is that just something we need to consider? How do you think about the defaults? Mm, uh, so the way that I think about it and certainly like in interviews I did or sort of even just friends I chatted with while I was working on the book is that if you aren't someone who's doing sort of uh, introspective, reflective work at all, I think that the stories we have are the stories that our parents have. Mm. And, and yes, there's also added layers of stories uh, that come from the media, um, the main accounts that we follow, which actually in my head, I'm, things are clicking together of like, this is just another level of being a mindful consumer, mm. like really understanding that. Um, but I think for me, everything that my parents said to me, which was then um, passed down to me because it's not even always that they were saying, you have to do this. You have to do this. Just listening to them talk about the way that they live and the way that like the things that have worked for them, that just, just seems to become our stories and we don't realize it. So, Hmm. um, at least that's my experience. So how do we start then? I, you know, I, I highlighted this sentence in the book you write, uh, and I quote, it's always fun hearing <laughs> your book reading uh, back to you, um, <laughs> quote, uh, every adventure in opting out has been worth it because as soon as I walked away from something that wasn't working for me, I could finally hear my own voice. And so, uh, mm. you know, end quote, I should say, this is me <laughs> talking, not you. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, we're embedded with it in all these stories that, are handed down from our culture, from our parents, from, I guess, parental culture could be considered a thing. But where do we start? You know, some of us are so busy, we have so much going on that these little uh, whispers of intuition we need to hear, they don't break through. So are, are there signs that we can look for that can serve as signals that we're not living up to what we value? Yeah, I think there's there are a couple different ways to answer that. I think one is obviously in the book, I talk about the idea that a lot of us talk about now, which is like living more in alignment with your values. Yeah. And the one piece that felt really important to share in this book was that I find actually most of the values based exercises that we see out there are commonly sort of like, here's a list of values, like pick 10 that like really are, you're drawn to. Yeah, the the challenge with that always for me, I'd see this long ass list and I just wouldn't care. I'd think, oh, that one sounds good and that one sounds good. But the idea of values seems seems like such a foggy idea to me almost, if that makes sense. Yes, and it did for me too. What I used to notice in attempting to do those exercises in the past was that I would pick values that were more aspirational than they were my own. Mm. So I would pick the values that you're supposed to pick or that I thought maybe based on scripts, like that I'm supposed to pick these things. Mm. And what I've figured out since, or like if I riffed off that, what I would say is that if you're picking values 
that are aspirational, the goals you then pick to kind of go alongside of them will also be more aspirational rather than being actually what you want Mm. to do and are often then the ones we can't seem to ever follow through on right? Because they were not your goals. They were not your values. It it just, the story is continuing over and over. Like, this is what I should be doing. This is what I should be doing. And for me, what I've noticed is that before any opt out of any kind that I've made, it's more often than not that I actually, there's like a feeling going on inside of me that I'm living out of alignment for my values. And that is what helps me figure out what my value even is. So Mm. a very clear example being like, I'm a vegetarian now, but, um, when I was still eating meat, uh, literally feeling like I shouldn't be doing this. I don't want to be doing this anymore, but I still am, or I still ordered this thing, or I still said, yes, if my mom or dad made it for me, but like, I don't really want to be eating this and, and just hearing myself over and over. And then finally being like, "Uh, okay, like maybe this is something to explore. It's not even that I did it right away or switched right away. It was just like, yeah, something is like not right here. Um, stuff with like, or like bigger opt outs would be for me. Like, I don't, I don't drink. I stopped drinking when I was 27. And that came more from a place of just getting so sick and tired of waking up every morning or every morning that I drank after I drank and, and not remembering what I had done because I didn't, I also was someone who I didn't know how to just have a couple of drinks. Like every time I drank, I basically got blackout drunk Mm. and the feelings that I would have every single morning, like the dread, especially of thinking like what I had done that I didn't know about, um, what I might've said, how I might've said something that maybe hurt someone or hurt a relationship. Um, and, and again, it was like months and months and months of like worrying about that, thinking about like what I might've done before finally saying, okay, like there has to be another way here. Mm. Yeah. That, so in addition to kind of identifying the discomfort we feel, I, I was trying to flip through as you were talking to find the exact quote mm. <laughs> uh, to, to find it, but you talked about how... Um, you know, this discomfort that we feel around certain actions is often the the best signal, often the only signal that we have that we're living out of accordance with our values. Um, so if, if looking at that word cloud of values doesn't list, but <laughs> doesn't, doesn't work, mm. but finding that discomfort that we have or that maybe doubt that we have with our actions, can, can you think of any other ways to identify the things that we should be opting out of? Or is that a reflective thing that we all kind of have to do? No, I mean, I think that there um, are certainly signs, especially based on conversations that I had with people while working on the book, things like um, hearing yourself uh, complain or or just be bothered in some way about the same mm-hmm. thing over and over and over again. So not even just complaining actually like just hearing yourself say the same thing over and over again like Mm. this is something i want to do this is something that i want to try um and and but never doing it like that's actually how i started the shopping ban years ago Mm. was that at the end of every single month when i would budget i would just look at my numbers be like i can do better than this like i'm barely saving anything and i know i can do better than this and i wasn't really being mean to myself there wasn't really a um yeah, it wasn't a concern so much. I was just like, no, like I, I genuinely can do something different here. 
but it took 12 months. Like it took 12 months of me doing that every single month in a row for me to finally go, okay, there's, there's mm. something I need to change. Um, I had friends say things like, you know, they, um, couldn't sleep like for weeks or months. And that was when they knew that something needed to change. Um, signs, especially in conversations, like if you feel really, um, almost like you're dissociating in conversation, like with, with one person in particular. So say you're really unhappy in a relationship or in work or something and, and noticing that you're really just not present. So there's definitely an act of self-awareness and reflection that comes with opting out. Like you, you sort of have to start paying attention to what is happening inside of you. Um, but that, that can yeah. look very, very different kind of depending on what the opt out is. Yeah. And you have a great list in the book too, that of, uh, kind of signs, everything from, you know, thinking there might be another way, wanting things to be, uh, simpler, you know, seeing that you or feeling that you chose a certain lifestyle, but you can't change your mind mm, or, you know, you also, one. yeah, yeah, it really is. What one I loved, uh, from a different part of the book is, um, feeling we have to be a different or an old version of ourselves around certain people. That that's one that really uh, struck home for me because you know sometimes I'll, I'll encounter somebody who I knew in high school when I was kind of the class clown. I guess I'm still a bit of a class clown, but maybe a bit more hopefully developed since <laughs> since those <laughs> days. Um, but kind of wanting to revert to who I was back then when I'm with certain people, um, the the people that bring out who I really am are the people that I don't need to adjust around at all. And I, I found that to be a really powerful signal too. Oh, yeah. And again, it takes self-awareness to figure out like what that feels like, like mm. and what the difference is. But the when you described seeing someone from high school, it made me think of how we we almost have another script in our head, which is like, Oh, I, I, th- like if I acted this way, that is how I fit in with this person once, mm. like whether it was once upon a time. So like without even thinking about it, you can almost revert back or feel like you need to revert back because they're like, well, this is how we connected before. Yeah. Um, but it is not. And actually like if you did it for a long time, say you spent a week with that person, like at the end of that week, you would probably feel horrendous <laughs> because you were not being yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's so much emotional labor. And you know, speaking oh of kind of the obstacles around change too, you write about all the things in the book that you've opted out of yourself, like drinking, um, choosing not to have kids, no debt, an unhealthy relationship with shopping, which you've mentioned a couple of times, uh, working for yourself, I'd add mm. too. And I'm guessing you faced a lot of resistance along the way from other people. Um, you know, I'm curious how you've dealt with the judgment from others along the way, you know, because you've opted out of a lot of things. And so somebody's opting out for maybe just one thing now, mm. a traditional job, um, you know, not having kids, uh, choosing a debt-free life, or maybe living more simply so that it doesn't have to be an option. I'm curious how one should deal with that judgment from other people. Um, what your suggestions would be, what you've learned from that. Yeah, I think that... Uh, what it makes me think of is the first um, thing that probably most people will notice when they are opting out is that people will start to give you a lot of unsolicited feedback. Mm. There will be a lot of comments of like kind of what to watch out for or why you shouldn't do it. And it is so important to 
embrace this as just an understanding that people can only see as far for you as they can see for themselves. And that just meaning that whatever they're saying literally has nothing to do with you. And instead, those are the things that they would be saying to themselves if they were considering the changes that you are considering for yourself. Um, so not that that can all be like summed up in a tiny little bow there, but because you will come across it constantly. But I, that is the biggest thing is that most of the comments people make, um, try to imagine that they are just saying it to themselves. Like that is what they would be telling themselves in that moment. Mm -hmm. I also think trying to, Walk into conversations with people who are showing judgment, um, with a curiosity. And instead of getting defensive of your choices, instead asking questions back. So if someone says, um, like, you know, this, this like horrible thing is going to happen to you if you, if you do X. Um, or like I have some like really silly examples. Like I have friends who said something like, if I if I had a really tiny wardrobe, no one would ever date me. What? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Like I've had really funny stories. Wow. Um, that's interesting. <laughs> totally. And that's a curiosity then, though. So you can just say, like, oh, like, why is that something that you think is true? Hmm. Um, I could see I, not dating you because you have no books in the house, but not a <laughs> tiny wardrobe. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've had ones uh, around drinking. Like, how do you, like, what do you do on dates? Like, how, or, it's not even that, that they ask that. It's saying like, like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine not drinking. Oh, and then add being a vegetarian. So being like a sober vegetarian. Like, people look at it like that is this massive hurdle to connect with people. Do you have any fun? <laughs> yeah, and... <laughs> Um, just approaching that and saying like, what are some dates that you've gone on, uh, with, with people where you haven't drank and, and Mm. almost just saying that as a question of why don't you give me a suggestion as something that I can do. And it's just, it's not always easy. Like it's, especially when it's hard enough for you to make the decision to opt out. It's, we do feel this immediate feeling to be defensive because you're like, no, like, don't try and tell me I'm wrong. Don't try and tell me that I can't do this. But if we can use these opportunities to um, just engage in actual conversation rather than defensiveness, uh, Mm -hmm. it it opens a lot of doors, not only just for the two of you to kind of maintain your relationship, if if that's, I mean, or if that's a relationship that will be maintained through the process, because we also lose people when we opt out. Um, but it's also an opportunity to o- open their eyes to other ideas. And, and it's hard to be the first person to open someone's eyes in that way. Um, but imagine if we were doing more of that, uh, how, how much maybe more accepting and open we would all be with each other about our, yeah. our own choices. Yeah. And I, I feel I've kind of focused on the negatives of opting out so far, talking <laughs> about judgment and all these things, but you also write in the book, you know, by opting out of the things that aren't serving us, we really opt into ourselves. Mm. The the person that we really are beneath all the stories, beneath all of the the values that are imposed on us often. And something else I love about the book is how you focus on that 
uh, journey we're all taking, how the experience of our lives is a, a far better, the actual experience of it is a far better focus than any outcome we might want to accomplish. And we very much live in that culture that's outcome focused. All mm. the, um, and I've probably fed into that a little bit with all the productivity advice, the advice on becoming better. But I'm curious if you'd be able to speak a bit to that, especially around that individualism that we seem to prioritize above that collectivism um, that might be what we really want to find when we reflect on things a little bit oh my gosh it, like so is that a big th- question that's a, a pretty big question it's a big question <laughs> it also like so many different things came to mind mm. as you were saying that um like a vision or like a visual i sort of had as you were saying that was the idea of um, the process rather than the outcome. Yeah. Um, and just that as, as an idea, like, and how that can show up in our lives, it is not an easy one to embrace. I would say, especially in like North America, which is more capitalist than, yeah than some other parts of the world, but it's, um, yeah, it's not always easy to embrace, but I, I think that that is really in so many ways, how I live now. It's also, there's still stories in my head of, um, what people must think of me that that is the way that I live, that like, I don't have these goals that I'm working towards per se, or like the more common goals. And that is hard. Like that's a hard one to, uh, rewire and or remove. (laughs) Yeah. But, but it still comes up for me. Like, like, because the stories that have been portrayed probably more so in like the media, um, characters in television shows or movies, like the friend who doesn't have a specific goal, they're shown as someone being really flaky, really out there. You're like, no, like I'm a very grounded person and I'm a really practical person. And I just want to live in a way where I can take on opportunities as they come. And yeah. that I'm not so focused on one thing that uh, I say no to like amazing things that could come up along the way. Yeah. And so many goals are based on kind of a metric, aren't they? You know, I want to have X number of uh, dollars in my bank account. I want X number of followers on on Instagram or or whatever. And there's really no stopping point to those. Um, you can always have more money, more followers, more of a goal. And um, it, it seems like the things that are worth opting into are are the ones that are based on process, not outcome. Yeah. And and that makes me just think of some of the opt-outs that I've done. Like I'm now sitting here going, yeah, like not drinking, that is not an outcome. That is everyday life, right? Yeah. Like that is just everyday being like, yeah, that's that's not something right now that I feel I need in my life. So, okay. Just what does a sober life look like? Not like, not like a daily, here's the thing I had to do this day to like prove that I'm still sober, but what does a sober lifestyle look like? What does that include? And, and like just exploring that and embracing that. And there are challenges that have come up along the way. And I, I don't think there will be more in the future for where I'm at now, but um, yeah. y- you don't know. You don't know. Yeah. One, one, one final thing I want to ask you about, and this is my greatest frustration with the podcast is every episode is about half an hour because I feel we could chat about this stuff for, <laughs> for 10 hours or 20 hours. And there's a whole book out there called Adventures <laughs> in Opting Out if people want to 
explore this idea further. But one final thing I love about the book, it's kind of like a side chapter almost, is how, how you write about celebration rituals. And th- this is something I've always sucked at, honestly, celebrating the things that I'm able to accomplish. Um, I was wondering if you'd be able to share uh, your celebration ritual, maybe even talk about how myself, uh, our listeners might be able to start one of their own. Yeah, so I, I'm i just with you in that celebrating does not come easy to me. Yeah. Um, and it's because you're on to the next thing, right? At, at least if, if you're like me, it's like, okay, what's next? I finished that thing. Now what's, now what's next on the plate? Yeah, I think it's oh, okay, especially for something like a book or, or just any big project, because oftentimes we complete it months. Some people complete their book like a year or more before it comes out. Yeah. So yeah. it's really hard to celebrate something that you did a long time ago. <laughs> um, so what I can say is that I, it's taken a lot and it's like, I still think that this will be a slow sort of, um, process to, to be able to celebrate more at some point because mm. I, I would love to, like I see th- and watch people and how they celebrate themselves. And there's definitely stuff going on inside of me, stories of all kinds of like why I can't, why maybe I'm not worthy all the time of those celebrations, um, or not wanting to be seen it a mm. lot. So there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on. So I would say that the simplest thing that I didn't know would ever become a ritual for me, but it has, is it started the um, day that I paid off all my debt in 2013. And I was down at the beach and there was no intention behind it. I literally just was sitting on a log and I put my hand like down at the sand and I drew a little smiley face. And... that was such a simple thing. Like even saying it, I remember even writing it. I'm like, this is such a silly and simple thing (laughs) that people are going to read this and be like, that's not really a celebration or like, what is that? But it has become this thing that I do. Now it's more so like when I can feel that, um, like something has ended or something has uh, come to life kind of, which actually probably happens at the same time. So, um, another example is I went on a, a road trip by myself through the United States for almost two months in 2016. And there was a day that I was in California and I did a hike one morning to watch the sunrise. And when I was up there, I really had this sense that I was done with the road trip. And I'd had all these plans of like, I'm going to do all this stuff in California and Oregon on my way up um, to British Columbia where I live. And I just put my hand down in the dirt and I drew a smiley face and I was like, well, that's Mm. weird. All right. (laughs) I guess we're done here. Um, and oddly four days later, I kind of booked it home. So, um, I did the same thing when I got the book deal for adventures. Um, I did the same thing when I was in uh, Wales last year, I spent about six months of 2019 in the UK and yeah. yeah, I did the same thing at a coffee shop one day where I just saw some, um, like condensation from a glass on a table. And as soon as I saw it, I just kind of like put my finger in it and drew a little smiley face. And I don't know, like for me that day, I really felt like I was at home there and I had like mm. done something else that I had set out to do, which was to live abroad. And, um, yeah, so it's a really simple thing, but that's where I'm like, maybe to start celebrations or rituals, nobody needs to know about them. Like maybe it can just be something that's really simple for you. 
and and you don't have to tell anybody at first and that's totally fine and actually in a way like probably even more special if nobody knows about it yeah people will know about this now that i'm saying it on the podcast but <laughs> yeah that's fine <laughs> i just i just took a uh, a pen and i drew a smiley face on the uh, on your book on Aww. on the front <laughs> on the front of the hardcover uh, which it. some people will some people will be upset about uh, vandalizing a book but no but those people can unsubscribe from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's been no, it's it's been awesome to have you on the. Uh, we made an unsubscribe joke the previous episode, so we, there may be nobody listening to this. But <laughs> in case there there are people listening to this, Kate, um, the the way it's always fun to finishing up a show called Becoming Better by asking you, uh, what's what's one thing you're working on becoming better at right now? Mm, right now. Um, put you on the spot. No, I like it. Um, right now I would say, um, practicing patience with Mm. having not one dog, but two, (laughs) um, that's a, it's a real shift to go from one to two. So practicing patience. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll end. Uh, I'll end the show. I, I love uh, a lot of quotes, and I had a chance to work a few of them into this uh, into this episode of the show. But I, I love this one, and I want to end by sharing it from your book again. Reading your quotes back to you, uh, <laughs> but you wrote, "Quote: The only way to live without regret is to do what feels right for you, and try not to hurt people along the way." And I love that because ultimately, to me, in, in my eyes, that's what uh, Adventures in Opting Out is. It's a book on regret minimization. It's about living a life true to ourselves. And, and you write about how the number one regret of so many people are on their, their deathbed is not living a life that's true to who they are. And I've uh, read that a few times. And you know, it's from that famous article, The Five uh, Greatest Regrets of the Dying. But mm-hmm. it really struck home because you provide in the book this this opportunity for people to reflect on what is meaningful to them, what they really value, uh, whether they should opt out of anything um, in order to opt into living a, a bit of a better life. And so I'm grateful for you writing this book and hopefully people pick it up because I think it's worth their time. Thank you so much, Kate, for coming on the show again. Thank you so much. This was a really, like the word wholehearted is coming oh, to me. So it was good. a really wholehearted interview. Oh, wholesome. <laughs> yeah. Would you say? <laughs> very, very good. <laughs> so, well, thanks for coming on. So finishing up becomingbettershow.com is where uh, if you're listening you can find the corresponding blog article for this episode I'll write a little something up around this interview hope you have a wonderful week we'll see you in a couple Tuesdays